Welcome to the audio sermons of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We hope you are encouraged by listening. For more information, please feel free to browse our site at www.sbrpc.org. Sermon series on Galatians, and then we hit Galatians 5, and um, we've come to the fruit of the Spirit, this list of, of characteristics called the fruit of the Spirit. And so we're taking several weeks to examine each one and um, to ask some questions, right? Where, where do we see these characteristics, this fruit in our lives as Christians? Um, how can we look out for them, cultivate them? And so today we come to peace, and so we're going to talk about peace and what it looks like to have peace in our lives. Um, these, the, the fruit of the Spirit, these characteristics are promised to Christians, so uh, all who trust in Jesus alone for salvation. Uh, so we should expect to see peace in our lives, and so we'll talk about that this morning. Um, I'll read our, our passage. We'll read from Galatians and then from Philippians 4, and then we'll pray, and then we'll dig in. So follow along there with me in your bulletin or on the screen behind me or in your Bibles. Galatians 5, uh, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then from Philippians 4, starting in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving... Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need." And here ends our reading of God's word. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's pray and let's ask him to help us to understand his word this morning. Let's pray. God, we do pray to you now and we ask that you would help us to understand your word, help us to be comforted by it, to be convicted and challenged by it where needed. God, help us to be drawn more and more to you as you teach us this morning from your word, by your Holy Spirit, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, if you were here last week, you heard Nathan preach on joy, and a lot of what Nathan um, told us and wanted us to take away from that is that true, lasting joy is, is relational. Uh, true joy requires seeing uh, the, the love of God the Father for us and the joy that he has in his love and, and that he delights in us. Um, and that's the way to true and lasting joy. And peace is similar. Uh, peace we may think of as um, that which, you know, accompanies quiet and stillness. Um, we may think of peace as 
Um, you know, we're picturing a little bit of R&R, right? Rest and relaxation with our uh, favorite book and a, and a nice cold drink. Um, but peace, real true peace, is really relational. Uh, I remember when I was in college and working at this manufacturing plant where I would be tasked with the job a lot of times of collecting materials across the plant. And a lot of times that involved um, going up to the forklift drivers and asking them for a favor. You know, I need something from 40 feet in the air on a shelf. Um, and so I guess I gained a reputation of this when forklift drivers saw me coming. They knew, they knew I was about to ask for a favor. And uh, on one particular occasion, one of the forklift, dri- forklift drivers who uh, did not uh, typically hide his ill will toward me, uh, he saw me coming and I said, uh, hey, came around the corner. I, I don't know what made me say, but I said, hey, hey I, I come in peace. Um, and he was quick to respond, and you'll leave in pieces. <laughs> and of course, that was the moment when I realized peace must be attained through a two-way street, right? Peace is relational. Um, I may offer peace, but ultimately it was going to require the two of us. And so peace is not just a, a, an absence of, of war or conflict, right? True peace is restorative. Um, it requires even active reconciliation. And in the Old Testament, you know, the word probably many or all of you have heard before, shalom is the Old Testament word, the Hebrew word for peace. And um, it's, it's throughout the Old Testament, and it's getting at this idea of being made complete or being whole, um, restoration, uh, even, even at times uh, bringing about restoration by making payment to bring peace. And so this is the piece that we're going to talk about this morning. This is the piece that is mentioned here in this list of characteristics that we call the fruit of the Spirit. And so to get a grasp on that piece, what that piece is, we're going to see uh, three things. Three things we'll look at today um, from our passages uh, and from, from Philippians. First, the protection of peace. Second, the practices for peace. And third, the person of peace, and I'll, I'll explain and repeat those as we go, but first, the protection of peace. I say, I call it the protection of peace, really to highlight that this peace that we're talking about and that we're reading here about from Paul's writing in Philippians is a peace that, that um, works for you and on your behalf and uh, despite what you are doing, and in some sense, we are, we're passive um, in it. And we see that, of course, in verse 7. First of all, in verse 7, we see right off the bat there that this is the peace of God. Um, this is a peace from God. You know, to say that something is done by the peace of God is surely to say that it's just done by God, right? God is the one who brings us this peace ultimately. And so that's just kind of important to, to get out of the gate. Um, but then notice the language in verse 7 of guarding. This peace that guards your hearts and your minds. Um, this, this word guarding, it kind of brings with it the image of, of sentries stationed outside of a, of a structure uh, that cannot be invaded. In fact, the Greek word for guard there, uh, I, I'll try to pronounce it here, phoreo, um, that Greek word can even be translated to set up a garrison. Um, so this guarding that this peace is doing, we can see is quite an involved process. Uh, theologian William Hendrickson put it this way when he was studying this verse, Philippians 4 verse 7. He said, if anyone should tell the believer that God does not exist, 
and that everlasting life is a mere dream, he would get nowhere. For at that moment, the child of God would be experiencing within himself the realities which the speaker is trying to reason out of existence. The man of trust and prayer has entered that impregnable citadel from which no one can dislodge him. And the name of that fortress is Jesus Christ. So there's this image there of this peace that guards, it works on our behalf um, to protect us, to guard our hearts and minds, hearts and minds, um, which, right, two, twofold there, twofold guarding of the heart and the mind. It, it guards our heart, it guards our affections and our desires, and this peace guards our, uh, our thoughts and our concerns, right? It guards our our hearts, and that it protects us from, from following and pursuing and wanting the wrong things, pursuing things in life that are, are never going to ultimately satisfy us um, and ultimately never going to bring us peace. Uh, and, it, and it protects and guards our minds. Uh, this peace from God protects us from uh, a wandering mind that can never rest from worry or concern, right, that's haunted by the scary possibilities, the worst-case scenario that we love to tend to play out in our mind. Uh, this piece protects us from the idea that our, our very being, our existence, is tied up in anything that we can accomplish, our work or our being a good friend or our role in our family, being a good father or mother or child. So this piece that protects, it, it's from God. It, it guards our hearts and our minds. And then also see there in verse 7 that it's a piece which surpasses all understanding. Peace that passes understanding. This is probably language you've heard, right? I hear this prayed a lot. I've prayed it often. Um, it's, it's a beautiful thought. It's a beautiful sentiment, right? That I can have a peace that goes beyond what I can really even explain. Uh, peace that surpasses understanding. I think this means, right, that this is a peace which we in, in our logic and our reasoning and all of the research that we may put together could not arrive at this conclusion of peace that we may find ourselves with as Christians. Yet there it is all the same. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not a peace that the world um, or conventional wisdom has a formula for. Uh, it's, it's not found in any part of creation, right? Because the very source of this peace that we're talking about, that Paul's talking about here, is is the source is the creator of all things. Um, and so to be able to think about explaining this piece, to be able to regurgitate a formula for this piece that we're talking about is really uh, futile apart from the work of God in us. Uh, and I think that's important to see as we think about this piece that protects but if we've said that, right, that kind of sounds very far off. Okay, we're saying we can't explain it. How do we get it? Uh, well, Paul doesn't leave us there, right? He, he actually does help us to see there is a way to uh, acquire this peace. There's actually things that you can do. We're not left to just sit on our hands uh, and, and wait and be totally passive in this. If you're like me, you're going to be eager to hear. What, what are the practices we can put in place to live lives of peace, to see this peace that we're talking about in our lives. And so uh, that's our second point, the practices of peace. Paul gives us a few things uh, that he's very clear about in, in Philippians, uh, practices that we can implement to see this peace worked out in our lives. Uh, first, let's just note, though, before we look at the couple of practices, he tells us 
how he has come to be a peaceful person in verse 11 and 12, the person he's describing who's content, whether facing plenty and want. How has he become this? He doesn't say, you know, I'm just like that, right? I'm, I'm built different. Um, I'm a peaceful person no matter the circumstances. He says, I have learned to be this way. Uh, I hope that would be an encouragement to you this morning because we are, we are a room full of learners, right? We learn our whole lives from day one, right? We, I've got a couple of little learners in, in my home right now. Um, they learn every day, learning new things all the time. And so Paul says, there's something here for you to learn. There's something that can be done and practiced and made habit. Uh, and, and the first thing he says is, is prayer. In verse 6, we read, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So prayer. I hope you don't hear that this morning and say, here we go again, right? The preacher's telling us we should pray. Um, I mean, I am, but uh, it, it's, it, just see that it, it's not just praying for the sake of praying, right? Pray, um, we need to ask ourselves as we pray, do I pray? First of all, do I pray? What are my habits of prayer looking like? And when I do, um, am I praying to, as if I'm praying to the one who is the giver of peace? Um, as if I'm praying to the one who rules and reigns over all things. Um, prayer is simple, but it is powerful. Prayer can seem like something that's ordinary, and yet it has extraordinary meaning and power. I would even encourage you this morning, you know, where able in your life, pray out loud. Um, hear yourself pray. Hear yourself talk to God. I was talking to Kelly this week as I was you know, preparing for this sermon, and so we were talking about the topic, the idea of peace, and um, talking about how ultimately we have peace with God through Jesus, and then we had lunch together, and Kelly prayed, and Kelly prayed, you know, dear God, thank you for this food, and we thank you that we have peace with you through Jesus, and he finished the prayer, and we were eating, and I told him, I said, you know, that was good. Uh, I, I, uh, I believe that more after hearing you pray it out loud. Um, and so I encourage you, pray. Pray out loud when you're able. Pray truths. Um, but Paul tells us not just to pray, right? Don't just pray for the sake of praying. Don't just talk to God for the sake of talking to God. But bring to him requests, supplications. Ask him for things. Um, in the uh, uh, ESV translation that I read, uh, something of this contrast is lost. But in other translations, it, it may read something like this in verse 6. In nothing be anxious, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In nothing, but in everything. So Paul, is, he's, he's given an all-inclusive statement for, for all of the things, right? Whatever the things are that are out there, he, is, um, he understands the propensity towards worry and anxiety. And he's saying, take all those things and don't give them to worry and don't give them to anxiety, but take them to God in prayer. Uh, he's not trying to be flippant, right? He's saying, take your very real concerns and problems and, and issues that you face in life and pray about them. And don't just tell God about them, but ask God for uh, solutions to them, right? Make requests to God. 
to take your request to him, interact with him over your request. Uh, commentator and theologian Alec Motier said that our requests respond to God's kindly question, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And we see Jesus himself ask that question in his ministry of people, and it, and it invokes in my mind as well um, Genesis 3, right, where Adam and Eve have sinned, they've rebelled against God, and God says, he asks, where are you, right? We, we pray to a God who inquires of us and who is ready to hear our requests. He is, and you need to know that this morning. God is ready to hear you ask him for things, to make requests to him. But Paul adds this as well, that our requests should be made with thanksgiving. Um, Not just that we should pray and then as time goes by and the answers to our prayers become clear, we should thank God for those things. But to pray, make requests along with thanksgiving, meaning ask God for things, ask him for resolution in the issues that you face in your life, but also thank him as you're doing that for what he's going to bring, knowing that however he answers your request, that he's teaching us, right, to, to learn further dependence on him, right, and to, to recognize that, that he's at work, he has been at work, he continues to be at work, he will continue to be at work, bringing about that which is for your good and for his glory. And so if you want to believe that, right, if you want the peace that comes with believing that, Paul's telling us, pray. Pray to God often. Ask him for things. Ask him for things with thanksgiving for what he will bring. And so not just prayer, that's one of the practices, but the other one that Paul pretty clearly tells us is uh, to think. To think, and we'll be more specific than that. But Paul tells us to think. um, He tells us what to think about. And this is important because uh, I think in the world, right, when we're trying to get our mind right, when we're trying to find peace and relax, a lot of times we probably think of the need to maybe empty our mind, right, to think, think about less things. Um, take those worries and concerns and, and remove them from your mind. Um, but, and that's a hard thing to do, right? Uh, if, I, if I tell you, right, don't think about pink elephants, I would guess that it probably didn't work. Um, you, your mind immediately goes to that thing which, which we're trying to eliminate. And so Paul doesn't give us a, a, a negative instruction. He gives us a positive one. He says, here's what I want you to think about. Verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just or, or right, could be translated that way, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, think about these things. When, when he says think about things that are good and right and, and true and just, Um, he's saying, think about the answers to the big questions that you can count on. Uh, He's he's saying, ask yourself, and and again, this might sound counterintuitive if you're trying to relax and find peace, but he's saying, ask yourself the questions, what is the meaning of life? Why am I here? What are we doing here? Where are we going? What is this all about? Um, questions that, that, of course, you could see could pretty easily bring some stress into your life. But for the Christian, 
using Scripture to inform the answers to those questions, those questions, we actually find great comfort and peace when we realize that these big questions have big, true answers. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see things such as that we're here, the reason we're here is to honor and glorify God, and that we are destined to live with him for all eternity because we've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. These are the answers to those big questions that Paul wants us to rehearse amongst ourselves. Uh, J.I. Packer, theologian, he, he said this. He put it this way. It's a similar thought. He said, there are six things that a Christian should tell themselves every day. He said, one, I am a child of God. Two, God is my father. Three, heaven is my home. Four, every day is one day nearer. Five, my savior is my brother. And six, every Christian is my brother too. And of course, those six things, we could spend a whole sermon series on each of those. But you get the point, right? The point, teach your mind to, to dwell on these things. Um, if, if you want peace in your life, think about these things. Fill your mind with these truths. Don't spend your time trying to forget things or to eliminate thoughts. Take these truths and meditate on them. Again, say them, share them with one another, say them out loud, write them down, consider them on a daily basis. Think about these things. So Paul, he, he also tells us to think about what is lovely, right? And so that's a little bit different than thinking about true things. He's saying, think about uh, things that are lovely. This is a matter of the heart, right? A matter of our affections. Our mind's naturally occupied with what we love. And so loving things that you might lose uh, will, will never make you this type of peaceful person. Uh, people have known this for a long time. Ancient philosophers knew this. This group uh, that were known as the Stoics. They were, of course, all ancient philosophers, including the Stoics. They were trying, they spent so much time trying to figure out how can you be happy, right? What's the key to happiness? What's the key to true joy and peace? And the Stoics suggested that you should only love that which cannot change, which you cannot lose, which sounds pretty good, sounds pretty smart. That will bring you peace and happiness. Love, and so they said, love what you, only what you can control. And they said, that which you can control is your good deeds, your virtue, your own good. And so in theory, maybe that sounds okay, but I think if we're honest, we know that even our virtues, right, even that which uh, we do, uh, we do not ultimately have that great of control over. We all the time fail to live up to our own principles and convictions. So the Stoics, these ancient philosophers, they're right that we need to love something that cannot change, but they're mistakenly um, choosing to love their own virtue. We need something better to love. We need something better to occupy our mind uh, that, that is a love and an affection of ours in order to live lives of peace, in order to have peace. And so that's going to take us to our third point, which I called the person of peace. Uh, the way to truly have peace, the way to be a person of peace, like, like we see Paul describing in verse 11 and 12, someone who finds contentment in all circumstances, the way to do that, the only way to do that is to know 
and to love the person of peace, right? This very, the very prince of peace himself, Jesus Christ. To know him, to know him crucified for your sins, raised again from the dead, and now reigning over all things, soon to return and to make all things right. Look, I know a second ago we just talked about the practices to put into place that can bring peace in your life, but those practices have to be centered around the person of Jesus Christ or, or they're useless, right? To pray, we, we must know that we're praying to God uh, through the access that we have to him through Jesus. We must make requests to God, asking him for things, knowing that he is a God who loves us, who loves you dearly as he has demonstrated for you through Jesus, through the life and the work of Jesus for you. And we must think and dwell upon that love for us and, and, and think and anticipate this coming day where Jesus will return and he will make all things right. Uh, you must know Jesus. You must know the person, Jesus Christ. If you are ever going to be convinced that God is not at war with you and that you are not at war with him, the peace the peace of God is knowing your peace with God. Uh, the peace of God is to know your peace with God that has been won for you and provided for you through the person of Jesus Christ. We read already this morning from Romans 5 in our assurance of pardon. I'll read it again. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God. And so if you trust in Jesus, right, this morning, because you've seen the work that he's done for you, and you see him as beautiful, you've known the work that he has done as applied for you, then, then you're no longer God's enemy. You are not at war. You are not at conflict in any way with God through Jesus. You are his child whom he loves dearly and whom he is working for you, for your good and for his glory, working through every single thing that comes your way in this life, struggles, trials, um, even bad things, right? Things that we would acknowledge are wrong. God is even using those things for your ultimate, God, for your ultimate good in a way that you maybe cannot see yet. I'll tell, uh, I want to tell two brief stories uh, to finish up here, but um, the first one is about a guy named Cornelius Michael Anderson. Uh, Mr. Anderson is a man who lived in Missouri who in the year 2000 was um, convicted of armed robbery and sentenced to 13 years in prison for his crime. And due to a clerical error, uh, Mr. Anderson was never picked up and never taken to prison. Um, and so he continued to live his life. And uh, 13 years later, when they went to release him from prison, they discovered that he had not served his sentence. Uh, and so uh, I, I think, I, I have to tell you all, I think he ended up serving one year after that before he was let go. Of course, he was a different man. But you can just imagine that 13 years, what are you thinking for 13 years when you were expected to be picked up and taken to prison and they never showed up, uh, surely you're, you're, you're haunted by the fact that somebody is coming for you, somebody is coming to, to, uh, to 
cause you to serve this sentence uh, that you have deserved? Do we, I wonder if we live that way ever, in dread of what may be, right? Waiting for the other shoe to drop. Perhaps even thinking that, that God has uh, something coming for you as far as, as punishment for your crimes. Uh, the other story is about a man named Horatio Spafford, who was an American lawyer living in Chicago, and he lost um, uh, much, if not all, of his, his business uh, assets in the fire, the Chicago fire in 1871. And uh, as he was rebuilding his business and, and trying to get back on his feet, in 1873, he planned a, a vacation for his family. They were going to go on a ship to England just to get away for a little while. Um, but he was delayed because of business uh, responsibilities he had to tend to. And so he sent his family on ahead of him, his wife and his four children. And, and he stayed behind, planning to, to join them soon in England. And on November 22nd, 1873, the steamship that his family was on crashed into an iron ship in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and 226 people were killed, including all four of Horatio Spafford's daughters. And when he got the news from his wife who had made it to England um, of this tragedy, he of course immediately went, got on a boat and went to, to join his wife in England and it's said that um, as they were passing over the area where, where the ship sank and where his daughters died, he went back into his, his cabin or wherever it was, his room on the boat. And it's there that he began to write the hymn that we know, It Is Well With My Soul. And um, I, I, I won't read the whole thing, but I'll read to you one of the verses there. This is what he wrote uh, as he's reflecting upon this great tragedy that has befallen him. He wrote, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And I guess that, you know, you hear that this morning, and there's probably, there's probably one of two reactions to that, right? We hear that and we may think, what is wrong with that guy? You know, what, what is he thinking about? How, how is he not just consumed with um, anxiety and dread over the memory of, of his children and, and the loss of them? Or you think, perhaps, I would like a peace like that. I would like a peace that, that knows uh, that no matter the circumstances immediately before me, no matter what, what it is that I've seen in life right now, uh, I can believe that I have peace with God that has a bearing on my life now, knowing that, that whatever has befallen me is not because God is, uh, is my enemy, not because he has made me my, his enemy, not because he is after me, but he is actually at work in some way that perhaps I can't understand uh, for my good, making me more like Jesus. Uh, we, we didn't read it um, but now we can reveal the, the verse that comes after the um, verses that we read there, Philippians 4.13, one that we're probably very familiar with. It says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I know this verse has been used often, right? Um, I think it's been used to uh, pump people up 
to believe that they can make the big shot to win the game, right, or throw that touchdown pass, or, or maybe crush that work presentations, things like that. And, and I guess, you know, that's, that's fine, really. But what if, it, what if it just means that you can get up and you can go to work tomorrow? That, uh, or that you can go to school again in August, that the beginning of that school year that you're dreading, or that you can get through this summer, the summer that you've been dreading. Um, what if it means you can have that tough conversation that you've been putting off, um, or that you can uh, be kind to that difficult person? What if I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me means that you can forgive people? Um, or that you can ask for forgiveness, or that you can lead your family well, that you can pray with them even, even though you're tired? What if it means you can obey and honor your parents, right? These very hard, difficult things that, that don't really get the publicity. Um, what if it means that you can do these things all while knowing that no matter what, what trial or difficulty or challenge that is put before you, that you can face it knowing that God is not angry with you, he has offered you peace in Jesus Christ, and he is making you more like Christ through the work of his spirit. It was Jesus himself uh, on the night that he was betrayed, and he's preparing his disciples for what's coming, right? He's preparing them for his death, and he tells them, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He's, he's working to assure them, right, that, that what's coming, uh, though terrible it may seem, though he's going to be arrested taken away, beaten, hung on a cross, and die, um, that it is through this very thing, it's through this mission that he has come to fulfill, that they can be assured that they have peace with God, and they can have peace in all circumstances, that, that through Jesus he has bought for us and he has brought to us peace with God forever, no matter the circumstances, you can know that peace this morning as well through Jesus. I pray that you will. Let's pray now. Dear God, we do come before you and we ask that you would give us this peace. We pray that you would make it real to us, that we would be able to feel and experience what we know is true through Jesus, that we have peace with you. We ask that you would guard our hearts and our minds with this truth the truth of your love for us, and the peace that you have made for us through Jesus Christ that will not ever be taken away. God, we thank you for the work that you're doing in us. We pray that you would comfort us as we go from here to know that you are at work making us more like Jesus. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. Please feel free to pass it along to others who might be encouraged by this message. Also, if you have any questions or would like to know more about the church or a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, please feel free to browse our website at www.sbrpc.org or contact the church office directly at area code 225-768-9999. Again, thank you for listening.